Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Hello to everyone joining in. Just gonna let a few people file in, and then we'll, and then I'll start answering the uh, questions that I got from Twitter, and then <clears throat> I'll open up open it up to the uh, Facebook chat later, and we'll do those questions then. But uh, how's everyone doing this morning? Thank you, Travis. I need to shave it though, it's getting too hot out. drop as many of thumbs as Seth. I mean, I probably could if I got fired up enough, but uh, it depends on what kind of questions that get, uh, get uh, asked, I guess. Or how much we talk about Dave Haxtell. That should be the real test for that one. <clears throat> Alright. So I think I'll just start it up now. So, welcome everyone to Saturday Morning Scrambles. I am Kyle, uh, Kyle F on BroadStreetHockey.com, and gonna go over some Twitter questions that I got first, and then at the very end, after I finish up the uh, Twitter questions, then I will open it up to the Facebook chat. Uh, just save any questions that you have for after I do that, just because um, Facebook limits scrolling. I'm sure that you're used to that by now, so. Just wait till the end, and yes, that is right on the poster, Flynn. <laughs> Alright, so let's get into the questions from Twitter that I got yesterday. So the first one comes from at Mike, or, uh, Mike, Mike McCormick on Twitter. He asks, did Hexy sign JVR just to please the fanbase, or does he truly believe the Flyers are ready for the next step in the process? So... I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because I don't think that Hexel just did it because, uh, I definitely don't think he did it just because, you know, we 
have been clamoring this entire time, do something. Like, you know, make some kind of signing, make a trade, whatever. I don't think he did it just because of that, just because it's, it's Ron Hextall. Like, this isn't Paul Holmgren, this is not that era of Flyers. This is a very um, patient front office, to say the very least. So I think, to an extent, that he did it because of the fans, you know, wanting him to do something. Because at some point, you know, you hear it enough from the fans. You saw what the Sands looked like in the playoffs. There were empty seats. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with Flyers playoff games. Like, the building is sold out every time. Every time. <clears throat> and the fact that there were multiple occasions last year, not even just in the playoffs, where it you barely felt like you were watching a Flyers game. Like, the, the crowd was just not into it at all. So the fact that he went out and signed JBR, I think it definitely says that, you know, he is ready to start committing to, you know, the may just making the playoffs is not good enough anymore. You, and that's, and that's what it should be. Like my expectations for this season are you win a playoff series or it's a failure. I, I, like assuming everything, you know, like assuming Claude Giroux doesn't get hurt, assuming Jake Vorchick doesn't get hurt, assuming we don't have ridiculous injuries and people regress. You know, there's no reason why this team with this top six, which is arguably one of the best top sixes in the East, and maybe even the NHL, there's no reason why that team should not contend for, should not be in the playoff position every single, like, at all points during the season. So, I think it does uh, signal that Hexel is ready to contend, uh, full-time, but at the same time, I think that, you know, the fans did get in his ear a little bit and kind of say, you know, do something. Do something, or it's going to be more of the same from the fans next year, because it was it was bad at times last year. Like, I went to a Flyers-Panthers game that was, like, you know, like two or three home games into the year, and it was, it was kind of empty. <laughs> and that's, it's just not something that we're used to seeing from, uh, Flyers fans, especially early in the season. So, next question comes from Ad Midmajor Matt on Twitter. He asks, so the guy I'm fascinated with, uh, Sam Sandstrom, referring to Felix Sandstrom uh, at goal, uh, is there a chance he makes the roster next year? So, he already signed a deal with his team in Sweden, so he will not be on the team next year, but he, um, I would imagine he makes a team or makes at least, like, the Phantoms the, uh, year after. <clears throat> so, not this year, of course, but I think maybe, I mean, they could call him up, or, uh, I, th I think they would be able to bring him to the Phantoms that's, uh, late in the season, like, if the Phantoms make the playoffs, which, I mean, they have Carter Hart and Alex Lyon probably as their goalies, they probably will make the playoffs, <laughs> and Anthony Solars. Considering I have no idea what they're going to do with the goalies next year. Apparently they're going to keep three with Lehigh. And, uh... I mean... You would hope that those three goalies could get the team to the playoffs alone. They have a, they should have a good forward corp. Uh, defense is still going to be good because Phil Myers is probably going to start the season with the Phantoms. Uh, yeah, so he might get, like, a call at that point. But I then again, I think you have to keep four goalies in the AHL. I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but... Who knows? Uh... Yeah, so next, so not this season, but the next one after that, that'll probably be the one for Sandstrom. Uh, from at Turtle Tour, at Turtle Tour Guide on Twitter. Uh, first of all, great name. Second of all, um, 
Because in the tweet where I asked for questions, I mentioned that I like video games too, so we can talk about that if you want, since it's pretty much, you know, the dead period of the Flyers offseason, and there's probably not going to be that much else that happens. Uh, so he asked, so you can talk about the Flyers in NHL 94 with the goalies like Tommy uh, Soderstrom and Dominic Roussel. Uh, sadly, I did not play NHL 94. <laughs> that was before, just one year before my time. But, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about NHL 18. Speaking of that, I made a Flyers, I did a franchise mode with the Flyers on, on NHL 18, and won the Cup back-to-back -back years with a roster that probably does not win the Cup in real life. Well, some, at least the bottom six. The bottom six was a little bit shaky. But uh, I had, so, Drew Kateri Voracek on the top line. Uh, Nick Ritchie, who I, I traded Simmons for Nick Ritchie, so of course we won the Cup without Simmons. That I hope that doesn't happen in real life, because Simmons deserves a Cup. But, you know. So Nick Ritchie with Patrick, and then Jake Gensel, because the Penguins just didn't sign him in free agency. I don't know why they didn't. But uh, I guess they just didn't have the cap space for him. Uh, so I signed him, <laughs> and then I had Corbin Knight, Travis Konechny, and Oscar Lindblom as the third line. Corbin Knight, Corbin Knight scored like 30 points in my in in this franchise mode. Like I have no idea how he how he did it, but he had like a Max Talbot 2011-2012 season. Like that was how good it was. And then Taylor Lear, Misha Vorobiev, and Scott Lawton on the fourth line, and then. It was hilarious because we win the cup, and Travis Sanheim got hurt right before the clinching game, so he was not on the ice for the Flyers to win the cup. But guess who was? Andrew McDonald. Because what else would happen? So, naturally that is a thing that happened. But enough of my tangent about the about a virtual Flyers team that will probably do better than the Flyers team this year. Because... Who knows? It, it all depends on Hackstall, honestly. Um, but anyway, so from next question from at Paul Kohler on Twitter. He asks, your ideal bottom six versus Hack's likely bottom six forwards. Okay, so I did a post on Broad Street Hockey not that long ago about a for a lineup projection for next year. And um, the third line I had Lindblom with Vorobiev and Simmons. That is, while it's a projection, I think that's exactly what I would want in a third line. Like, I know a lot of people are talking about Morgan Frost, and I totally would be fine if Morgan Frost made the team. I think he could probably be just fine in the NHL. But I think if, considering the, what, considering what Hackstall likes, I think that Verobia making the team over Frost is not only something that I would be okay with, but I think it's something that Hackstall and Hexall are going to be okay with too. Because Frost has put on weight, but we know there's a difference in the NHL between uh, just putting on weight, putting on muscle and everything, and actually having, uh, actually being able to play with size at the NHL level. So, I think that Vorobiev, with already like um, pro experience with the Phantoms and everything, I think he makes more sense for that third line, especially because uh, Lindblom is not the fastest guy. And, like, he's a good, he's a better skater than he was when they drafted him, which isn't saying a whole lot because he was really bad, really bad skater when they drafted him. But, uh, and then you have Simmons on the right wing. 
he's not terribly fast either. So you pair pair those two with a guy like Frost. I wonder if they're not going to be able to keep up keep up with Frost because we know how just explosive of a skater that Frost is. I wonder if pairing them with a guy like Vorobiev, who isn't a bad skater by any means, but he's more on um, uh, Simmons and Limblom's like level when it comes to speed. I think that that might make for a better line. And as uh, myself and fellow BSH contributor Jake, uh, we dubbed it the hashtag thick line uh, <laughs> because we know how much Ron Hexel loves his uh, thick prospects. He he made such a mistake calling prospects thick because now it's just going to be a running joke with every single prospect. So, I at this point I think he's going to keep doing it intentionally now, so that way we all uh, continue the running joke. But either way, I think that's honestly, I would be totally fine if that's a third line on opening night. I think Vorobiev is going to be capable of being a third line center, uh, at the very least a fourth line. Like if they want to like interchange Lawton and. Uh, Vorobiev on the third and fourth lines, that's totally fine with me. Yeah, that's I I would be totally cool with Juan as a 3C with um, Lindblom and Simmons, and then have Vorobiev with uh, moving on to my fourth line, which I had Raffle with Jordan Wheel, center by Lawton, but you could interchange that and just put uh, Vorobiev on the fourth line. Now, as for what I think Haxel's going to do with the fourth line, I don't think there's any way that Yuri Laterra does not make the team. I think that Laterra is basically a lock, no matter what, because it's 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 Yuri Laterra. Like he's going to make the team, and he's probably going to start. Uh, I was optimistic in those projections where I just had him scratched, but I I think that if Laterra comes in, he replaces. Um, it's more likely that he would replace Wheel and then uh, Vorobiev. Because Vorobiev is a guy that I think that Haxel is really going to like because, you know, he's a big body, he's very responsible defensively. And not to say that Morgan Frost isn't, but I think that um, just the size is... The size works more for, ha for like, Haxel's style. You can debate that all you want, like, it's, it's, if, it's, if it's a right decision or not, but, you know, who knows. Um, but I think that Wheel and Laterra would basically be interchangeable, and, you know, if they want to go with more size and grit and, you know, glue for a game, then they can go with Laterra, or if they want, you know, speed on the floor, on the fourth line, then they'll just put, uh, then they'll just put Wheel in. And Taylor Lear is also an option. I don't know what they're going to do with Taylor Lear, because at this point it seems like he's the odd man out, and I... It, it sucks because Lear was a guy who, he didn't put up good numbers in terms of just like raw goal, raw goal numbers, but he drove play a lot, uh, really good four checker, so it, it kind of sucked to just see him kind of get shuffled out of the lineup for guys like Laterra, and it didn't happen often, but we sometimes, like it was, it was frustrating in that regard, but I at this point, I just don't think that he has a spot on the roster. I think he's more of a 13th forward, um, 14th maybe, depending on if Laterra is scratched. I think they would, they would put, they would put Wheel in over, uh, Lear, so who knows what's gonna happen with Taylor Lear. Uh, 
so since again I also since I mentioned the uh, video games thing at Matthew Rosado asked uh, let's play Fortnite question mark I suck at Fortnite like I am so I tried playing it uh, because I've seen so many YouTubers play it and I'm on YouTube way more than I should be but uh, I, I am so bad at that game I got my I think the last time I played it I got my first kill and then died like right away and I was just like yeah this is my peak of playing this game I'm done so <laughs> I we can play for a night I just will you will have to put the team on your back because I am not good at it and I'm just not good at those games in general which is depressing because it looks like a lot of fun but uh, final question from Twitter comes from uh, BSH Joe Joe Pergola as you probably know from Broad Street Hockey he asks what kind of contract do you expect the NHL's hit leader uh, Bobert Robert Haig to get uh, I, I swear if if they if the if the uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia broadcast continues to say NHL hit leader Robert Haig the um, of the amount of which they did last year and we continue the drinking game from last year, we are all going to be dead by the time that, like, mid-season hits. Because it's it's going to be ridiculous. But, uh... As for the contract that Hay could get, I think... I'm leaning towards more that they'll give him a three-year deal, just because I think that they like Hague more than a lot of us do. Uh... And then this, and this that's coming from someone who, in myself, who likes Hague a lot, think a lot more than uh, some other people do. But I think the Flyers like him a whole lot, and despite you know what we saw at the end of the year and how he just kind of randomly got scratched in the playoffs and the last like week or whatever of the regular season, I think that they're still extremely high on him compared to uh, what a lot of fans kind of think that his game is. So I think that a three-year deal, probably around like 1.1, 1.2 million uh, cap hit, something like that for. Hague, and then for me personally, I would give him like a two-year deal. Three years is an absolute max that I give him. I do not give him a four-year, and definitely not five. Uh, two years, one point three AAV, something like that. I think, because again, I I like Hague. Like I think that he has some potential to. I think as long as he can figure out how to move the puck up, because as soon as he figures out how to move the puck up, I really don't care about the rest of his game, because he's good in his own zone. He's Fantastic in defensive zone coverage. If you can be good in defensive zone coverage and then just break the puck out, just get up to one of your forwards and they can get the puck in, you're fine because we he's he's not going to play top four minutes. That's what we have Sandheim for. That's what we have. You know, hopefully Radko Gudis can not you know try to kill Sean Couturier again, and he can actually go back to being a legitimate top four defenseman. So. You know, we don't need him to be a stud defensively. We just need him to be, you know, solid in his own zone, be physical, because we know he can do that, and we know he can do it effectively. We just need him to do that and get the puck out when we when it needs to. Like, I I just don't need a whole lot from Robert Haig. I just need him to do two, like, main things well, and he already does the one thing, which is defensive zone coverage. If he can do that, break the puck out, I'm good with him. And if they can, and you know, a guy like that, they'll get him on a cheap deal every time because he's not going to put up a lot of points. So they don't have to worry much about that. So unless some team is just, some team like Vancouver, who is stuck in 2004, where players like Jay Beagle are seen as legitimate top, or uh, legitimate third-line centers in this league, 
Uh, yeah, like, I, I, unless some team like that comes along and just give, gives him a buttload of money, like, they should be able to get him on cheap deals, basically, for the rest of his... Relatively cheap deals for the rest of his career. They won't have to spend too much on him, I don't think. So, you see a comment from Quinn on the... Um, in the chat, this seems like a bad logic. I'm referring to the uh, Frost and uh, the Frost with Lindblom and Simmons. Usually, you want to add some speed to a line. Frost is known for his high hockey IQ, uh, tendency to slow his slow the game down. Yeah, I mean, I think what okay, what I mean in terms of that is, I think that if in, if Simmons is regressing and he's actually as kind of ineffective as he was last year. I don't want Frost to have to adjust his game all that much just to compensate for his linemates. I want him to kind of have, like, more range and more freedom and kind of, like, in his first year than to just, you know, have to kind of, like, not play down to his linemates, but uh, slow down, I guess, in terms of his linemates. I mean, it could work. Like, none of us really know how it's going to work with the lines because we haven't seen Frost play it, like, against NHL competition really yet, so... It could work. Like, it could very well work. And I hope it does, because Frost obviously has the higher potential than a guy like, uh... Than a guy like Vorobiev has, even though, like, I think Vorobiev... Like, his... Probably... Vorobiev's ceiling is probably, like, a good second-line center, but I think it's more like that he's just a really good third-line center. His floor is, you know, good fourth-line center. I don't think he could get any worse than a good fourth-line center. Like that's just like just for how his how he plays, I don't think it can get any worse than that. He's a uh, really good play driving center. We saw that um, last year with Lehigh. So I think that you know, Vorobiev's floor is pretty pretty solid compared considering, you know, where where he was drafted and what, you know, we all kind of expected from him. So let me just make sure, but I believe that's the last question from uh, Twitter. Yep, looks like it. All right, so if you have any questions, put them in the chat, and I will answer them now. Uh, talk about JVR, because I don't think... Well, I'm sure we talked about it already, but still... Okay, so Andrew asks, does the next NHL next expansion draft factor into the team's decision process to keep Frost in the NHL? Uh, it depends, I guess, on... Because I'm assuming they'll just do the same process as to what they did with Vegas. And I I guess it could factor in. I'm not too familiar with uh, what is going to exactly be... Um, required, I guess, in terms of, like, players who need to be put up, like, the whole 40 games thing. Like, we heard about with Andrew McDonald, that wasn't actually a thing. So, I guess it could, but I'm not completely sure. I I want to say yes, though, because I feel like I've seen this before, where if they don't play for us enough, then it definitely could, like, factor into his uh, service time, and then that affects if he has to be put up, um, has to be protected in the expansion draft. And obviously the Flyers are going to keep him. Like, they're not going to let Morgan Frost go for nothing, so... I believe it does, though. But I'm not a hundred percent certain of that. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, to see... Because 
it looks like Seattle is basically going to be the next team because we haven't really seen anything else from or really any other major uh, cities come into factor for this. So looks like Seattle's going to be the next NHL team, which I'm totally fine with because uh, Seattle needs something. They, they, they should not have lost their NBA team, so they kind of deserve a little something in replacement of that. Um, yeah, we can talk about the Christian Folin signing, which is going to be interesting because I have no idea how Dave Haxel is going to like him compared to how he liked other guys, like or how he liked Brandon Manning. So that'll be interesting. Uh, it's a bit of a dull period in the NHL offseason. It's tough. Um, we I don't expect the Flyers to do anything else this offseason, so... It's not like we're going to really see... I don't think we're going to see any trades from Hexall at this point, so... Pretty much is waiting until October, which is... Or September, I guess, since that when, that's when uh, training camp and preseason starts, but... It's going to be a long offseason, because nothing else really looks like it's going to happen with the Flyers. Being in, any questions you guys have, talk about video games, as I said, because... Or really anything you want, because I have no idea, because it is the off-season, and it is quite boring. Uh, hockey, I've been watching basically just so many different hockey videos just to keep my mind uh, focused on hockey. Talk about the NHL 19 trailer that just came out. Because I think... I don't know if any of you in here play the NHL series at all, but... Uh, NHL 19 looks really good. Like, compared to... Considering what the series has been over the past few years, where it's just been hot garbage. Like, NHL 18 took a big step, but I think 19 with the new skating engine seems to be taking a really big step into the future. Make sure I didn't have any more questions that I missed. Let me see if I missed any questions in here. Um. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, just put them in. Yep. Uh, so Andrew asks, thoughts on Jay O'Brien. Will he be successful this year on a defense-oriented Providence? Um, I think O'Brien is a guy who... It's definitely high risk, high reward, because I'm not sure... Because he's a guy who didn't play against top competition, so you don't really know what his true talent level, I, I guess, is. So this year is going to be huge for him, because if he shows that he is a like a still a top prospect with Providence and shows that he can play against, you know, higher level competition and still put up points. Uh then I think the sky's the limit for him because he turns into an actual legitimate prospect where as right now he is a legit prospect, but we don't necessarily know how he, he's gonna fare against you know he only faces like high school kids. Like that's not most of the time going to be a good judge of talent for guys. So I think that and, and 
considering the fact that uh, Providence is defense-oriented, I think, like, considering that his point numbers are probably going to be a little bit skewed, so you kind of have to take that into consideration with, you know, whatever he ends up with at the end of the season. But uh, I think as long as he shows that, like, if he puts up, like, close to, like, half a point per game or whatever, something like that, then I think that would probably be, like, a successful season for him. Just something where, you know, you see the offensive potential and you're convinced that he can handle, you know, college uh, competition. Like, he can handle himself against college kids. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it was a risk of a pick, but I think considering the Flyers' depth with all their prospects, I think it was a risk that Hextall was fine to take. I don't think that it was a bad decision to draft him. Uh, I think that... Yeah, I think that it was a move that Hexel knew he could make, and he took it. So, Richard asks, how long before Patrick takes over the first-line center role? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure that he has to. I'm not sure that he even will, because if Sean Couturier can continue producing like he did last year, which, considering the move to get JBR, you know, it... It'll be interesting to see how it affects uh, Couturier's power play time, which will obviously affect his point totals. So, cons depending on that, like, if they keep Couturier on power play one and keep him in that same kind of spot that he was last year, then he should still, you know, be like a 70... He's like a 70-point player close to that, hopefully. <coughs> but, uh... Like, un unless Couturier just drops for some reason, which I don't think that he will because it, it's Sean Couturier. Like, I've been, I had been saying for years that, you know, his breakout season is coming. He's going to have a big year. And last year when it happened, I was so happy because I was just like, finally, finally I can just say, see, this is why I, for all these years I've been like, Sean Couturier is so much better than anyone gives him credit for. Uh, as for Patrick, like, I think this year is his jump to the, like, legitimate second-line center, really good second-line center in the NHL. Like, a 50-point season is something that I wouldn't be surprised at for Patrick. I think he could have a very um, Konechny-like season that Konechny had this year, or uh, this past season. Uh, maybe start out a little bit slow, but then really turn on the afterburners uh, late in the year. Or he could just click right away because he's going to have JVR and Voracek most likely next to him. And at the worst, he has, like... Because he's going to be the second-line center. There's no Unless they put Giroux back at center, which is an option. But I think at this point, the development of Patrick and pairing him with guys like Voracek and JVR or um, JVR and Konechny or um, I guess you could put Limblom on there somewhere, but I think that would... Yeah, no, Limblom I think works better as this you know, third-line left-winger right now. Uh, I think... This is Patrick's season to be a 60... Like, if 60 points, I would be ecstatic with Patrick. I don't think that he reaches that. But I wouldn't necessarily be incredibly surprised if he hits it. Because I think that, considering his new line mates, that line's going to absolutely be dominant next season. Like, I... JVR is a pure goal scorer. Patrick has incredible playmaking ability. And he said he wanted to work on his shot which already looks pretty good, and it was really good in juniors. So if if Patrick, you know, takes that next step, uh, it, it's going to be a really good year for him. I just don't 
know if he ever needs to be in that first line center role. I think that it's kind of Couturier's role until he gives it up. I unless Patrick just shows that he's f you know far and above better than what uh, Couturier has peaked at, which you know very, could very well happen. I mean, the dude was the projected consensus number one overall pick for like how many straight years, and he only dropped just because injuries and Nico Heischer had an incredible uh, year with Halifax, but it's still Nolan Patrick. Like he was the consensus number one forever. Uh, high risk, high reward in reference to uh, O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. Like, he is a definition of that kind of a pick. And I guess you could say the same thing could be said for a lot of guys in that uh, first round. Like, uh, Tidal Andrea was a guy who I was incredibly surprised to see go to Dallas when he did. Because I, I thought he would be like a 30th overall kind of guy. Like, late first round, early second at the latest that he would go. And Dallas decided to take him, what, it was like the pick before us, so like 13 or something like that? So, or it was like the pick after us at 15. It was something around there, but yeah, that was a really surprising pick. So, like O'Brien fits in that same kind of category, but O'Brien is even more riskier because, or even riskier because of the fact that he didn't play against top-level competition, obviously. <coughs> um... Yeah, going back to Patrick, like I, the second line at times this year, I think could be better even than the first line, just because of how um, Patrick and Vorchek are just so dominant along the boards. JVR is such a great net front presence. That line should be yeah, that line should be amazing next year. I'm really I hope Haxall puts it together, but it is Dave Haxall. We'll you know we'll see what happens. If you guys have any more questions, send them in. Uh, guess we can talk about the defense corps a little bit because it's going to be interesting to see how uh, if Provorov and Ghost stay together the entire season. I would assume they would after what we saw last year. Uh, I can't imagine they go away from that. Sanheim and Gudis would most likely be the second pair, but we'll see what happens with that because. It all depends on how Gudis uh, does this year compared to last year when he just fell off a cliff basically at the end of last year. Uh, Richard asks, what kind of return would Simmons bring in a trade? So, if they if they traded him right now, I think that he probably brings you a. I think he brings you a good prospect. I think it's better than like a mid-level prospect. He brings you a good prospect. He probably brings you like a second-round pick. He probably brings you. He, it all depends on how teams are viewing Simmons, to be honest. Because if teams are actually saying that, or if look at Simmons last season and say that he's regressing instead of just oh he had a lot of injuries and that was the reason that he struggled. Which I mean, it obviously was the reason that he struggled. The fact that he was playing with every injury in the book, basically. But if teams are looking at that and saying, well, maybe, maybe he's regressing too, and maybe we don't want to, you know, give up too much for a guy who already has all these injuries at 29, and, you know, he might 
you know, while he was injured a lot last year, maybe it's also regression as well. So I think that the max you could get for Simmons would be like a good prospect and a first round first round pick from a you know average team like a team that's kind of hovering around like the 15th to like 19th spot in like the draft uh and maybe like another like fourth round pick or something like thrown in there but i think a good prospect and first and a yeah, like a like a mid round pick then would probably be, be the max for Simmons, uh, because it, honestly it could even be more than that because people love Wayne Simmons like he is a definition of what you know hockey men love like they he's gritty he's a prototypical power forward he's quick quick for you know his size and everything uh, great net front presence great on the power play. Uh, Great in the locker room. I mean, we've heard how many times about how many about how all of them love Wayne Simmons, and for good reason. I mean, the dude's one of the classiest guys you're ever going to see. Great teammate, great leader, all that. He is exactly what you want in a hockey player, basically. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how teams view his last season, and if they view it as simply injuries screwed over his entire season, or maybe he's regressing, and maybe we don't want to take the chance. So, uh, I think the the lowest possible return you could get for him is, like, mid-level prospect, second-round pick, third-round pick, maybe, like, the next season, or, like, a, like a future second. But I don't, think, I don't think the Flyers would even bother with that then. Like, unless it came to, we need to get something back for him, or it's a failure, which... It's something that was discussed on BSH Radio last week. Uh, kind of the discussion of, well, do you just want to lose Simmons for nothing? Is that fine? Or do we not care? And is, Or do we need to get something back for him? Uh, it, it all depends on how the team... Because if the Flyers are doing well at the deadline next year, you... You risk, you know, ruining that season then by trading him. Because if you trade him at the deadline and the team is, you know, well in a playoff spot, don't have to worry about missing out, like they're pretty, like you're basically a lock for the playoffs, you can't trade him at that point. Because what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of a third-line winger who's probably putting up like a 20-goal season? You're not going to do that. Like that's just... It's poor asset management to let him walk for nothing, but it's even worse asset management, I think, to just give him away because you don't want to, you know, get rid of him for nothing. Just, and, like, to risk a deep playoff run. Because as we saw as we saw this past season, no one expected Washington to go to the Stanley Cup Final, but they did it. No one expected Vegas to get to the Stanley Cup Final, that's for sure. But guess what? They did it. So, you know, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And <coughs> if you have Wayne Simmons on your third line producing as he did, maybe not the past few years before this year, like when, you know, when he was putting up 30 goal seasons consistently, but he's putting up, you know, like he's going to have like a 50 point season on the third line. You don't trade that. You just, unless you are getting back NHL help right away, like you are getting a top four defenseman who is young, who is under contract for a while. 
And which, why would that other team do that? Why would you make a trade at the deadline like that? They would. That's a trade that happens in the offseason, not something that happens at the trade deadline. So I don't think that... I don't think that they even bother with trading Simmons unless they just trade his rights at the draft next year. Which, yeah, it's going to suck to lose him basically for nothing, but I, I would rather, you know, make try to make a deep playoff run than just give him away at the deadline for the sake of it. Uh, Sean Gallagher says, yeah, that's not a worthwhile, worthwhile return on... Which one? The, uh... Which isn't a worthwhile return? The first-round pick and a good prospect, and, like, a fourth? Or just the one that I mentioned that wasn't... That was, like, the least likely... Or the, um... Not the least likely, but... His... The, like, the... The worst you could get for him. If I could ever find the words for it. Uh... Ken Denning Jr. asks, any chance Simmons gets a new deal? Yeah, I mean, there's a chance. I think it honestly could help the Flyers if he shows that he's re he um, regresses a little bit next season, because then you can get him on a cheap deal. Because then you get him on a... Like, if you could get him... Not even necessarily a cheap deal, but a short-term deal. Like, if you can get Simmons on a three-year deal with, you know, relatively high AAV, not uh, JBR high AAV, but a little bit below that, um, then that's fine. Like I would, I would be fine with bringing Simmons back. I just don't want to give him a long-term deal, um, unless that long-term deal is like basically the same AAV he has now, or like just over four. And even then, I don't know if I would do. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show. It seemed smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.